0: This is an ABC podcast. I want to be positive. I want to channel the opportunity that we have to shape change so that we bring people with
1: us on the journey of change. I've always believed in Australians and their judgement and I've always been prepared to accept their verdicts. And tonight they have delivered their verdict and I congratulate Anthony Albanese and the Labor Party and I wish him and his government all the very best.
0: I want to bring the
1: country together and the new government starts today. Hello and welcome to the Party Room after the election, the post-election edition. I'm Patricia Carvallis joining you from Gadigal land of the Eora Nation.
0: And I'm Frank Kelly in the same studio here on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. And as Anthony Albanese just said, the new government starts today, PK.
1: Yeah, so of course, we've been covering the election campaign. Now we have the outcome over the weekend. After six long weeks of campaigning, Australia has a new government after nine years of coalition government. Let's hear from our new Prime Minister.
0: Every parent wants more for
1: the next generation than they had. My mother dreamt of a better life for me and I hope that my journey in life inspires Australians to reach for the stars.
0: Anthony Albanese, Prime Minister of Australia. Actually, we're recording this on a Monday morning after the election and Anthony Albanese has been sworn in. It's a little unusual what's happening this time, PK, because only five new ministers have been sworn in for now and it's all a rush because Anthony Albanese is going to get on a plane today with Penny Wong and fly to what's called the Quad Meeting in Tokyo, in Japan, where we'll sit down with the, the head of the US, the head of Japan and the head of India and talk foreign policy, talk security, talk climate policy globally. So it's a big it's a big job of work to be done from a brand new Prime Minister and what he had to do was just make sure he left someone behind who was actually sworn in by the Governor-General who could s- sort of as- officially run the country while he's away. That's, That's been done. Anthony Albanese will be back in two days. They'll bring the caucus together and the caucus will, with their leader, elect the full ministry.
1: That's right. So Richard Miles, Jim Chalmers, Katie Gallagher, Penny Wong and Anthony Albanese all sworn in. Now, essentially, I, I put this to Katie Gallagher. What does it mean? Can you do things with all these ministries? She said, "No, we're just we're just going to you know mind the shop and." so that we can just get things started. I actually think it's a reasonable way of, course of it moving is. It, forward. I
0: mean, there's no choice. I mean, Scott Morrison scheduled this election to run right up to the quad. Anthony Albanese, that's what he was left with. They've got no choice. We can't not go. And, um, and you know, these we have the economic team there. We have a deputy prime minister. The country can, can still keep running. It's only a couple of days. We can all re- breathe easy about this. That's right.
1: So let's look at the state of play. A historic election by everyone's judgment, Fran. The two-party political system has been disrupted in, I think, a seismic way that will change politics arguably forever in our nation. Labor has been elected after nine years in opposition. Uh, either majority or minority. We're not sure yet as we Almost certainly this.
0: majority. At the moment, there's only 72, 73 seats confirmed, but almost certainly uh, the Labor Party believes they're in, in, in the hunt to end up with 77 or 78 seats.
1: But still some really fascinating changes in this election. We've seen the election of what could be up to four Greens in the lower house, probably three, we'll see. We've got these Teal Independents that have knocked off the, the sort of even giants
0: like Josh Frydenberg, the treasurer of the country. The sons of the Liberal Party tradition, really, aren't they? Most of them, and they I call them sons because most of them are. Katie Allen was knocked off in Higgins, which used to be Peter Costello's seat. But if you look at the, the seats that have gone, it's mostly men who've been voted out and they are men in seats held by Menzies, held by Liberal Prime Ministers and Liberal Treasurers. You know, this is this is the heartland that has really kept the Liberal Party afloat for more than a hundred years. And those people have gone now. The Liberal Party no longer owns that territory.
1: And what has happened is that the Prime Minister's strategy of offsetting those seat losses, which he perhaps didn't anticipate to the extent that happened but certainly knew there was something going on, was not kind of matched by winning the seats in Labor heartland. Although, you know, some votes were taken off Labor. Labor does still have some questions around how it can, you know, think about its future. The
0: two-party system is has been challenged, wouldn't you say? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, basically, the two major parties have about a third of the vote each. One in three. The Labor government will be in power in their own right, almost certainly, with around a third, 33% of the vote. I mean, that is unheard of. And so what has happened is that the vote is shifted. It shifted to a crossbench. We're going to have 16 MPs almost certainly in the crossbench in the parliament. That is a significant whack of um, MPs sitting there. Um, the vote has shifted away from the major parties. People have signalled very clearly that I think what's happened in this election, PK myself, is that young voters, by and large, have voted Green and Liberal voters have, many of them, voted teal, voted independent. And the Labor Party has hung on to most of its seats. The seat of Fowler, which is what you might call Labor Party heartland in west, southwest of, of Sydney. The,
1: was one of the safest was Labor
0: one, seats. A 14% safe seat for Labor. Um, Christina Keneally did not win that seat. It went to a, a community independent, not a teal and not a Liberal. So this is not necessarily a loss of votes to the Liberal Party. It's another independent. So the community has spoken and I think the message to the major parties in my view, is they need to look long and hard at their community engagement and how much their party reflects the, the community, the look of the community. Diversity is a big issue here. For the Liberal Party, it's the lack of women who were in their ranks. They did not look like the community. For the Labor Party, it's making sure they are in touch with the communities that have supported them for 100 years now um, because the communities are changing and their priorities are changing. And engagement, I think, is a lesson here for the major parties.
1: Fran, throughout the campaign, uh, former Labor senator and now strategist, um, you know, analyst John Black has been telling us that professional women had baseball bats for the Prime Minister and that they would be the clincher for this campaign. They were going to decide this election, that while the major parties had so far been obsessed with male tradies, that in fact the story was different And I reckon he was bang on. It looks like professional women have decided that the Prime Minister was not up to the job, not in touch with their issues. And there is a big message, not just for the Liberals, but generally about... Uh, The role of women in the Parliament and the community.
0: And honestly, PK, it's not like they weren't told. They've been (laughs) told told a few times. They've been told for years that what is wrong with you? You're not pre-selecting women. You're not bringing in quotas. Your systems aren't working. Look what, we have a women's problem. I mean, these are not new phrases here. Uh, uh, People like John Black and others have made the point that um, professional educated women are the fastest growing demographic in many of these seats. The Liberal Party underscore Scott Morrison did absolutely nothing and and going further back than than Scott Morrison you know Tony Abbott had one woman in his cabinet he had to make himself the minister for women because he just did not think it was a priority to have his front bench reflect the community. And they were told they refused to learn the lessons as they did, refused to learn the lessons on climate change, as they refused to learn the lessons on integrity issues. These were not issues that were not being shouted very loudly at them for a very long time. And
1: now there is an almighty fight in the Liberal Party about its future. And so watch that space. We didn't want to spend all of our time in this podcast looking back. We want to look forward. But Part of the conversation is going to be about the future of the Liberal Party. There are people advocating that it shifts to the right now on the conservative side, that it, it in fact, went too far with net zero and other issues um, and still didn't win this group, that they need to give it up. And others, like Bridget Archer, who spoke to me on RM Breakfast, says... No, we must not lurch to the right. We cannot win mainstream
0: politics unless we learn the lesson. So this is going to be an ongoing fight. Yes, and I think we're in for a bit of a culture war within the coalition itself, actually within each of the parties too, but between the Nationals and the Liberals. We've already had Senator Matt Canavan come out and say the lesson from this is when we go left, we lose. We've had the National Party former leader, Michael McCormick, come out and say the National Party leader, Barnaby Joyce, was a big problem for the Liberals, he was a drag on their vote and this rise of the Teal independence can be slated to some degree back to Barnaby Joyce because they did not want to vote for a party that was basically taking their lessons on climate policy from Barnaby Joyce. Julie Bishop, I was watching her the other night on election night and she said women did not see their concerns and interests reflected in a party led by Scott Morrison and Barnaby Joyce. I think that's bang on. So what lessons will the Liberals learn and how will the Libs and the Nats be in will it can they be an easy coalition here? You know, who will who will win this culture war, if you like, within the Conservative side of politics? It
1: will be um a brutal, I think, process for them. It looks like Peter Dutton is um, it will emerge as the leader. He will have to do a lot of work to try and bring that party together and to reinvent himself too. Let's park the opposition because that's what they are now yeah. and talk about the new government. So Labour will form government, of course those other positions will be determined the week after but what is Labor going to be about? And how even if they're in majority, this is the fascinating thing for me. What kind of work will they do with those Greens, it's those interesting, Teals? Isn't it? What agenda do they have now that they've won?
0: Because the temptation is, of course, if you're in majority, you just roll on and do what you want to do. You don't actually need to negotiate with anyone in the lower house. However, the Senate is a different matter. Labor doesn't have a majority in the Senate, but it has to um, engage with others. If the Greens and Labor can basically make up half the Senate now, um, there's a, an independent called David Pocock, who is from that sort of order of politics. So that centre-left block actually has the numbers in the Senate. So that might make things easy, but still the Greens won't be easy to negotiate with for Labor. I mean, the Greens have uh, much more extreme positions on a number of things, particularly around climate, but not just climate. So Anthony Albanese and Penny Wong will have their work cut out for them there. But on the floor of the House, everyone makes much of the fact that Anthony Albanese is a negotiator. It's his natural style. And we heard that in his election night speech. He wants to bring the country together. He's a unifier. He likes talking to People, he has friends across the parliament, always has. So the temptation, as I say, will be I don't need you, don't worry. But on a whole lot of issues, they need to be building coalitions. And one is a voice to parliament if we're going to have a successful constitutional referendum to enshrine the voice to parliament, you're not going to get that with one party versus the other party. You have to build a broad political coalition to have any hope of that. Linda Burney knows that. Anthony Albanese, he said that's his major priority for this term of government. He knows that. So I think he will be bridge building and I think he'll need to be bridge building and I think if they don't, they won't have learnt the lesson that the community has just handed them.
1: No, and, and so I see suspect he will be like that. In fact, it's in his interest politically as well to absolutely keep those teals in those seats um, rather than uh, allowing a Liberal comeback. Because if those teals maintain those seats beyond one term, that is harder for the Liberals to get to majority...
0: Build them up. Mind you... It is in his interests. That, that's true. So what about the other seats? The Greens, there's been, as Adam Band says, a green slide at this election. They've taken seats off Labor. Uh, they've taken a, a block of vote off Labor. Is Labor going to be sort of happy to let that ride or are they going to be in a fight for their lives in some of those seats? And, think, and that goes back to the youth vote
1: yeah, by large, I think large, Labor I think. is absolutely going to be in a fight for its life and that it has some deeper issues. I spoke to Labor MPs who said, look, we're excited to have won, but, yeah, we've got some massive issues and conundrums over the longer term. They know it, but they know more than ever that they need to be a good government, that this idea that was painted unsuccessfully clearly by Scott Morrison that this kind of government would be chaos, they need to prove that, that that assertion will not be demonstrated by this next parliament. And that I think it will the crossbench be has some
0: responsibilities there too to not let it be chaos. I, I think they need to be mindful of that message too. If they want this to be a permanent feature, multi multidimensional parliament, then they're going to need to work constructively as well. I mean, we'll talk about more all about all of this and as things emerge in a new government as they do in the early days when we come back for our regular party room podcast well, we but we just couldn't help ourselves today could well, we well and i just think there's some really significant things to note and one of those is that you know there's going to be more more women in this parliament than ever before 57% female representation in the senate uh, i can't quite count the numbers yet in the reps but it's more than ever before the other thing is the indigenous representation in the Australian parliament the labor party will have six indigenous members in its caucus The Greens will have two. Jackie Lambie is there, of course. And the Liberals, um, Jacinta Price has been elected in the Northern Territory. So that is really groundbreaking, Mm. I think, for the Australian Parliament.
1: One more point I wanted to mention before we bid you farewell. The biggest issue that's going to face, of course, Australia, um, is the ongoing cost of living pressures that were at the centre of the campaign. Um, Labor, uh, senior Labor people have said to me they now realise that, that expectations are high about moving wages, about dealing with cost of living, that they need to actually get onto this because one of the worst mistakes would be to look like they were just empty promises and there was no action on this. There needs to
0: be an engagement with people's lived reality and wages is a big one. Yeah, you're right. There's two strands to success, really. The pressure is on. The economy is in a terrible straits post-pandemic. We have a trillion-dollar debt sort of hanging over everything. So that's not going to be easy and the world is not easy at the moment. So it's difficult to manage and deliver on promises making real change like that. There's that strand. People want to see an impact on their lives and, and the ease of their lives financially. There's the cultural change that we've talked about. The issues on climate, which is economic, of course, as well, but integrity as well. And um, and then there's the whole issue of the, the vibe of the thing. Let's be done with the culture wars. Let's hope this can give us respite from the culture wars for a while.
1: And on that culture wars, one more point, Catherine Deves, which was an issue that absolutely dominated throughout the campaign. She, of course, you'll remember, was. The un- now unsuccessful candidate for the Liberal Party in the seat of Warringah and has very alarming and extreme views on transgender issues and transgender kids uh, was not only not elected, but there was a swing against her. Simon Birmingham, a leading moderate, saying that there, that, that sort of that divisive element was very dangerous in the campaign. That is something that, that, that Scott Morrison brought into the campaign by leaning into it. He didn't have to. He leant into it. And on those issues, there is going to be a big reckoning.
0: And I think we can say in that front, how good is Australia? Because that message didn't resonate with those outer urban seats that Scott Morrison and some of the Liberals were privately saying, you know, it's going gangbusters out there. That wasn't reflected in the vote. And I just think that's great. Yeah,
1: it's good to be kind, Fran. It's time for us to say goodbye. See you, PK. See you, Fran.
0: You've been listening to an ABC podcast.